Good People, Cool Things is a podcast featuring conversations with entrepreneurs, writers, musicians, and other creatives. Get inspired by their stories to do your own cool thing. And here's your host, Joey Held. Welcome to Good People, Cool Things. Today's guest is Faye Snowden, an author of noir mysteries, poems, and short stories. Her latest book, A Killing Rain, is the second in a four-part series of a Southern Gothic tale featuring a homicide detective. So we're talking all about serial killers and creating those kinds of characters that people kind of want to root for, even though they might be doing some less than ideal things. We're also talking about book marketing techniques that have worked. So if you have any kind of creative endeavor and you're like, hey, I want more people to hear about it, well, then you better tune in because there's lots of good stuff. And if you're new here, we end every episode with a corny joke. This one, I'm going to say it. It's in the top 20% of any joke that has ever been told on the show. And through 130 episodes, that's pretty good. And if you want even more good stuff, head on over to goodpeoplecoolthings.com, sign up for the newsletter, poke around, pick out some other episodes. I've got a few favorites. You can always reach out to me, joey at goodpeoplecoolthings.com. Tell me what you're working on, what you want to hear some more of, and I can point you in the right direction. That's what I'm here for. I'm your guide. I'm like one of those signs that's pointing in eight different directions, and you got like New York one way, Tokyo another, Stockholm in a third direction. I'm one of those. I can point you wherever you need to go. And it won't take you miles to get there. It'll be like one click because that's how the internet works. You click on something, you get it, and it's great. Just like this conversation with Faye. For people who might not know who you are, can you give us your elevator pitch and the type of elevator that we're riding on? (laughs) Actually, I'm afraid of elevators. Did you know that? (laughs) I don't know if you knew. I'm very claustrophobic and I try to avoid elevators whenever I can, which is... uh, (laughs) Can't do that in Vegas too much. So, but uh, you can, but uh, my name is Faye Snowden, and I write a very dark noir mysteries um, in this in a Southern Gothic fashion. Uh, I have written short stories, poems, and also mysteries, which we're here to discuss today. Um, my latest book is A Killing Rain, which is the second book in my Killing series. The first book was A Killing Fire. And that book features a strong and very flawed homicide detective, Raven Burns, who is trying to navigate the fact that her dad was a mysterious, um, not a mysterious, a notorious um, serial killer. Um, So she's always trying to atone for his sins and gets into all kinds of shenanigans while she's doing so. So that's it. So I definitely want to get into all the writing, but I, I need to ask, have you, do you have a bad elevator experience or is it just the idea of it being claustrophobic? Yes. I was, uh, I, I, it's so weird. Nobody's ever asked that. Well, I never, <laughs> never came up in an interview on the elevator. Um, but I have a, when I was young, my mom sewed all her clothes to a single mom. That's how she saved money. And I was jumping on the bed and a needle went in my knee. So I went to the hospital and we grew up pretty poor. So I was never, you know, got out of a neighborhood and certainly not in anything like a hospital. And I was young and I was just already freaked out. And they, I got in one of those huge elevators um, with the doctor and they rode in a bed right next to me. And I don't know if it was a body, but you know how kids' minds work. Later on, I thought I was in the elevator with a dead person, and I just like, closed the doors, lost all control. And ever since then, I have been really, I do not, I've always been very claustrophobic, but I do not like elevators and airplanes and 
Yeah, I think, other things. I think that's a pretty uh, pretty outrageous thing to see. Uh, I think at yeah. any point, but especially as a child. <laughs> yeah, but I don't think it was a dead... I mean, would you really roll a, roll a dead body? They have, probably have service elevators, that kind of I stuff. Would, I would hope so, yeah. There's like yeah. some some secret path in the back that they can get through, but who knows? Yeah. Who knows? I, don't yeah, know the, knows? I don't know the inner workings of hospitals very well. But yeah. uh, going back, I always like to ask writers this. Do you remember the first thing that you ever wrote? Oh my goodness, you're asking such a good questions. Yes. Okay, so I always daydream stories, right? Um, so I, like I said, childhood was not the greatest. And so I always escaped into TV and I escaped into reading books. Um, but when I was reading and books and TV, I didn't see a lot of folks that looked like me. So I would daydream stories in my head where I would add a diverse character, right? Or, or make the woman all badass and kick ass and all that stuff. But the first story I wrote down was, because when I was growing up in the 70s and um, early part of the 80s, cults were a big thing. So, like the, uh, so I wrote a story about this teenager who was getting sucked into this cult. And, uh, and my sister read it. And she immediately, as sisters will, made terrible fun of me. A terrible fun. And it was a long time before I ever picked up a pen again and actually, or let anybody read my work. But yeah, that's where, <laughs> that's what it was. Yeah. I can still see it. The funny thing is I see the paper, the line notebook paper. I see the black ink. I remember what she said and was laughing at it. And I just, all that is just really there in my memory. So now do you show her that you've written several books that are very well? And you're like, ah. Yeah, yeah, she sees them. She sees them. And she's very proud of me. She'll be saying, people will be saying, well, I'm trying to get published and it's hard. And she goes, not for my sister. But I want to, you know, I don't even disabuse her of that notion. I'm like, hell yeah. I mean, I'm sorry. But I was like, heck yeah, it's hard. But uh, yeah, so she's very proud and everything. She probably won't even remember it. She probably doesn't even remember doing it. And I never <laughs> talked about it. Well, when she listens to this, maybe you'll get uh, an apology message. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We'll see. Now, you said how you write noir mysteries that are in a, in a Southern Gothic sort of setting, which is certainly a, uh, you know, less common than like a romance novel or uh, like a sci-fi um, type of style. So what is it about this specific noir mystery that really appeals to you? I, to me, it's, um, and when I did, I did write romantic and suspense when I first started writing. My first three books were romantic, but I think as I got older, I was like, yeah, yeah, done with that, done with that. And then, <laughs> so I kind of stepped into the mystery, but the Southern Gothic and noir mystery, it, I, 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 what attracts me to it is I get to examine the underbelly of society, you know, all that pretty stuff on top, um, you know, all the, the, you know, I just kind of think that's, that's fine. But there's something, especially in this country, where um, it's underneath. And Southern Gothic lets you get at that, right? Let you kind of explore that. And that's what, it, and, and the dark stuff, that what it, that gets me going. And also, I like giving people a, a thrill ride to be scared, but in the comfort of their own home and from their the favorite reading chair. <laughs> Not in an elevator in a hospital. <laughs> you know, exactly. You know. Yeah, so I like doing that as well. Because I think it's about, about also, people want to be entertained, um, too. So, 
Yeah, I, I think there's, uh, and this is just speaking for me personally, I think there's like a good way to be scared mm-hmm. versus mm-hmm. kind of like a, almost like a too gross out way, I guess, um, which I, I feel like a lot of horror movies sometimes will just try to like pile either, they'll either do the the scares of like what it could, you know, what might be there, mm-hmm. which is ultimately nothing. And it's just like our own minds playing tricks on us, which I think there can be very nice ways to do that or it's like the extreme opposite of let's just go way over the top with things that i'm like this shouldn't scare me but occasionally it still does and i'm just like that's that's when you've done it well so have you ever written something where you're like oh that might be that might be too much and you've had to like dial it back a little yes and um i i've done that uh i and then and then i guess i as i mature as a writer I know when I'm doing that. Um, it's like that Stephen King thing, kill your darlings, but you know when it's not moving the story forward or it doesn't add anything to the conflict or the tension. It's just gratuitous. Um, then I know, okay, now I need to dial that back. Did it add anything to the scene? Did it move the story forward? Did it um, unsettle the reader in a way that had something to do with the story? Then, But if it's just there for shock value, and readers see through that stuff, I, I believe and especially readers of mysteries because they read a lot and they can see through that stuff a mile away. So you have to be really careful about how you explore that in your writing. Now you've got A Killing Rain, which is your most recent book, which people can get right now. They can, yes. they can order it right now. Yeah. You said it's a second in a four-part series. So is it easier or harder to write a sequel than it was writing the original? I think it was easier writing the sequel. Because I didn't do have to do all the backstory, so I had to do the backstory of my new characters, of course. But I, I, I knew what Raven was a lot like, and I just became more comfortable in the sequel, getting to know her. Um, I didn't like what the sequel did to my poor Billy Ray, who was her <laughs> her partner. Yeah, so yeah, but I think it's easier writing the sequel because you have a lot of things that are already set up, and in the sequel you can just kind of go describe your new characters and how they're interacting with your old characters, and just go from there. And did you do a lot of research into serial killing as you were putting this together? Are you a are you a professional not not a professional serial killer, but like you've you've done enough for <laughs> you now. Hopefully not. If you are, maybe don't admit it. <laughs> I I did. I did. I read some books and I and then none of it stuck. I mean, maybe it did stuck. Maybe it's in my ugly subconscious. But if you tell me to, well, I guess I could, if you tell me to think five serial killers off the top of my head, I probably would struggle to do it. But I did a lot of research in, um, you know, what, you know, kind of the factors, the commonalities between them. I listened to a lot of uh, because I used to have a commute, and so I would listen do my research by listening to books on the way to work. Um, there was one that I listened to by an FBI agent that here there be monsters or search for monsters. I forget which one it is, but um, I listened to that book. That book fascinated the heck out of me. <laughs> um, yeah, so just like that, but nothing too. I didn't go down too many rabbit holes when it came to serial killers. But I tell you right now, if there's a show on about a serial killer. I'm there. I'm like, okay, what's going on? Who is he? Oh my goodness, I haven't heard about you before. And so, <laughs> because there are a lot of them out there, a lot of them you don't hear about, right? Because of the victims that they kill, or um, people don't really care. You know, they're from the fringes of society, and they don't get a lot of news play. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I am always uh, impressed, amazed, 
whatever, whatever, uh, you know, outrageous word you want to use when I, I'm like scrolling through a, a Netflix or Hulu or something. And it's just like the, uh, the sheer volume of stories like that, where it's like, and, and all of them are based on a true story or, you know, based on true events. And I'm just like, I mean, outside of Dexter, I guess, is probably the only one that, <laughs> who, although who knows, Miami's kind of a wacky place. So, Yo, Oh yeah. <laughs> I heard about that about Florida, but isn't it interesting how, there is this instinct to make your serial killer palatable, I think. And Dexter, you know, I spoiler alert, but he kills bad people. So it's okay to hang around Dexter. Hey, I don't know. I, I mean, I love Dexter. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> but I, I often think about, okay, is that what, what, why do we do that? Right. Why do we, why is that successful? Yeah. It is. It is interesting. And that's Dexter was a show where I don't, I'm not going to do this to anyone listening, but I had a very critical plot point spoiled in that show for me. And I was so sad. <laughs> yeah. And it has another one. Oh, somebody, you, so you found out what was going to happen. And yes. Yeah yeah, yeah. 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 They, they uh, casually, I, I think if you tell someone you're watching a show, their next sentence shouldn't be, oh, is that the show where major plot point happens? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, there's other ways you can confirm that you were thinking about the same show. Oh, yeah, there is. There is. Yeah. But anyway, this isn't a podcast about Dexter. It's about you. So you've you've written full full length novels, short stories, poetry. Is your process for all of those kind of the same? Or do you like outline things differently? What does that look like for you? And do you have a preference out of the bunch there of, of your favorite ones to write? Um, I like writing books better because they're more forgiving a book than a short story. And then, um, and then you can get to into the story a lot more for short stories. I write them totally different from the way I write books. So for a short story, I'll have a germ of an idea that I'll carry around in my head for far too long. It needs to get out of my head, but I keep it in my head because I'm lazy. And then I'll take four or five days when I'm ready to write, and then I'll just free write. I mean, just like Natalie Goldberg free write. Um, And then after that, I uh, get it on a computer, and then I just kind of cut, move things around until I got... uh, To me, it's almost like, I know it's corny, cheesy, but it's almost like finding a sculpture and a stone for a short story. For a book, it's kind of taking the stone and I guess make it a tablet, you know, make it make sense. <laughs> um, and I do that the same way, you know, I'll start with a question. And the question I started with with uh, Killing Fire, the series, is what will happen if a daughter grew if, a, if somebody's father was a serial killer? And then how would that make them feel? How would they go about their lives? You know, what? How would how would they feel about how much evil in them? So that's a question I started with. So I usually start with a question, and then I'll get uh, the villain. Usually, kind of comes to me out of the blue. I'm carrying the story around, and then the main character, and then I'll kind of flesh out um, a, a rough, rough outline, and then I'll just write. Then I'll just write free, and mostly I free write. I mostly free write. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, I think it's always interesting to to chat through the process like mm-hmm. that, and as you know. Writing is only a small portion of putting a book together. There's so much more that goes into it. And two things I like to talk about. I always say this first one is probably not the best thing to talk about on an audio only podcast, but the covers, <laughs> if that draws them in, then they'll read the description. They might page right. three if they're in a bookstore. So your covers, I mean, A Killing Fire, A Killing Rain, 
they're they're those elements you see them on on those pages were those kind of the original concepts that you had in mind or did that go through kind of like a lot of different uh tinkering before you got to no i'm sure they tinkered at flame tree as a publisher they tinkered there but when i saw them first of all with killing rain i was like huh i don't know if i like that and the editor was like it's gonna be great believe me it's gonna be great and then i was like well can we change it he's like no it's gonna be great and so when that one came out I got so many compliments on that cover. You will not believe. And people thought it was an amazing cover. And now looking at it, I'm like, oh, it is pretty amazing. That is pretty (laughs) amazing cover. And then so when Achilling Rain, they showed me Achilling Rain cover. And I looked at it and I was like, you know, my lip kind of curled. And he says, well, what do you think? I said, I think it's gorgeous. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, obviously, you know way more about this stuff than I do. Hey, I just do the words. I'm going to leave the graphics to you professionals. And now I get a lot of compliments on, um, on a kit. Well, they did some changes even after I said it was great the first thing. I did think they did one more change. I think they darkened the character on the cover I'm looking at it now. But but after they, you know, they brought it again, it's just like the colors work so well together. And then that water, and she's kind of underwater there. And I just think they did a brilliant job on the cover. So I, I did, from those experiences, I recognize that that is not my bailiwick. I've got to leave that up to people who know better. And I'm happy to do that. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm always impressed by what designers can <laughs> can come up with and yeah and to your point of like oh i think this looks great and they still find ways to to tweak it and enhance Mm -hmm. it even more and i was just like oh i didn't even see that potential there i know i didn't kudos to the designers Mm -hmm. out there (laughs) we need you yes (laughs) yes oh if i if i ever have to design the cover of something i create oh yeah no it's gonna be a bad bad time for everyone involved (laughs) so outside of the cover obviously book marketing is a a huge Uh part of any book launch or or even you know book that's been out for a while to continue to market it so what have you found that has worked really well for marketing your work and has there been anything where you're like oh i thought that was going to be great ended up kind of being a dud yeah, so my first house, um, my publishing house, I was with Kings and Ten, and I didn't have a lot of marketing and promotions there. So, if, you know, and I was kind of a first-time writer, and I thought, oh, my goodness, they're going to really market and publish this book, which they didn't. So that was a surprise to me that they didn't really get involved too much in that. And I, you know, I understood I was a first-time author for them and a mitless author or whatever. And then for Flame Tree, um, they had a, you know, it's a small publisher out of the UK and they had a marketing department and, and, and stuff. But I think the, the biggest surprise that I learned is that book market, well, the, I wasn't surprised at how important marketing is for your book, but I was surprised at how much as an author, you have to kind of get in there and set the strategies and the goals. And sometimes you have to come up with some funding, right? So this time I hired a publicist to kind of help help out, you know, Flame Tree and myself, um, to, uh, especially myself. Flame Tree has a marketing department, but come up with a strategy where we can all work together to get the word out about this book. Yeah. Lovely. And that's how you end up on wonderful podcasts like this. Like this, right? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yes, we love the work of publicists as well. Shout out. Yeah. Shout out to everyone. Yeah. It takes a village. 
It does. It really does. And this is something that, you know, when I first started writing books and publishing, it was like, I didn't realize, because when they put the final book in your head, in your hand, after it was living in your head in the manuscript, and you see this, he's like, you know, you think I didn't do this by myself. There's like 20 people behind this book. It's just, I mean, I wrote the story, but then every, you know, the editors bring it together. The develop, the copy editors make you, you know, fixing your grammar, making sure you look brilliant, you know, and all that stuff. So it's, it takes a lot of people to help out with that. Did your, um, I think this is another fun thing to ask. <laughs> Did your copy editor or, or any editor really notice um, or, or call out a certain quirk that you hadn't noticed. So the the example that I like for my book was that I started so many sentences with "well," and I don't say that in life. Like I I don't I don't use that when I'm talking. But apparently, writing it it was like a crutch, and my editor called it out, and I was like, "Thank you." I would never have seen that. Like he counted the times it happened, and he was yeah. like, "He's like that's too many." I was like, "Thank you." <laughs> Yeah, um, shrugs. My characters did a lot of shrugging, and also they called people by name. So he said, "People really don't use other people's names like that." And then he goes, "And your characters do a lot of shrugging." <laughs> so I, I caught, and I'm saying just. So sometimes after, especially nowadays, you know, you got all this technology and tools. Um, I would go through and just find the. Uh, I would just do a word count on shrugs and go look at each one of them. Yeah. I mean, and I mean, sometimes you do need to shrug, but yeah, if, if you can tone it down a little bit. And I think the just is a good, I, I try to do that in all writing, What like even in an email of like, oh, I just wanted to check it. It's like, no, I didn't just want to do that. I wanted to check it. Like I, I you know, you can, you can uh, I think tighten up the writing a lot by getting rid of just. So that's, yes, that's our yes. one writing tip for today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, getting rid of Jess and asking why are you putting it in there? Well, I don't want to seem like I'm nagging you. Well, you are nagging. Me. <laughs> I want to check in and find out where you are on XYZ. I've heard from you. Exactly. From you in months. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. so, another question I like to ask, and I say it's because it's less work for me, is a question that you wish you were asked more frequently. So, I'm making you come up with the, uh, the question okay. here. And for yours, you, I don't think we've mentioned this, but you have a literature degree. So why don't you write literary or mainstream fiction? Why do you write genre fiction? Yeah, and the main reason I do is I have one kind of a literary fiction short story out there. And one of my fans, the person that really supports me, one of the people, like one of the two people, I'm just joking. Um, But she goes, hey, I love that, but where's the ending? (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, yeah, about that. Um, But I just... um, I decided to to go uh, genre fiction because a lot of the scaffolding is already built for you. You know, the rules, the the conventions, the, you know, first person, third person, you know, a lot of that's already taken care of for you. And you kind of know those rules and you can um, you can adjust them or break them if you want straight up, which I break a lot of rules in my um, in my writing. So. Because I'm, I'm lazy, I guess, <laughs> first of all, so I have all those already set up. Um, and then I think what genre fiction allows you, and I don't have to do it, you know, I don't have to invent the thing out of whole cloth. And I think what genre fiction also does for you is that it um, it, it allows you to kind of, um, oh gosh, how do I say this? It, 
It allows you to explore because so many things are already done for you. It allows you to explore those hard questions. And it also allows you to kind of sneak in things that the reader may not have thought about before, right? So it's almost like a Trojan horse in a, in a bit, in a little bit. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, and then I'll give you an example. Like, um, uh, a killing, these killing series is based on, it, they're, they're based in a small town called Bird's Landing, Louisiana, which is in the South. And I loosely based it on um, the parish that it's like Cattle Parish of Louisiana, which I believe, and I read this, that um, uh, that, that uh, area of the country had more lynchings than any other area of the country uh, back in the day. So the town itself acts as a, um, uh, acts as a character. And then it also acts, uh, it impacts the people that live there in a negative way. It brings out their darkness. So um, so it's kind of get readers to think about, oh my goodness, why is this town so corrupt? I mean, what what is it with the people in this town? I'm wondering what's going on. And you kind of like sneak that information in there a little bit. And I do just one scene in this book, which you probably won't even, I don't even know if you remember, if you, if you, but uh, yeah, I do sneak it in a little bit. Nice, nice. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Love a good snake. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Hey, you're almost off the hook here, but we always okay. <laughs> like to wrap up with a top three. And okay. for you, top three women you admire most and why? Okay. So my beautiful Stevie Nicks, she doesn't get in here a lot because I have so many women I admire, but I want to get her in here because Stevie Nicks is just, I just think, um, I love her music. Uh, I love her writing, her lyrics. Uh, my kids don't like her voice, but you know what? They all know. They just don't know. <laughs> They're just kids. But then I also like the fact that she has such a strong work ethic. Um, it's just a hard worker, and I love, and that it kind of inspires me to do my best. And a lot of her songs inspire me to do my best as well. Um, and then there's also, you know, Toni Morrison. I mean, how can you not? Um, and then because of her writing, what she did for, um, authors, uh, in the publishing world, uh, you know, I think I forget what she was, she was like random house. I don't remember, but she kind of opened up the door for a lot of, of black authors. So, uh, especially female. So I, that's why I love Toni Morrison, especially her writing is just off the hook. So that's, that's the second one. And then I'm going to give a shout out to Josephine Baker. She was a, uh, vaudeville 20 star, um, uh, who experienced so much prejudice in the United States. And she went over to France where she became a, a darling, a, a celebrity in France. And, uh, and she also became a war hero because she spied for, um, spied, spied for the French resistance, Josephine Baker. I don't know. Have you heard of Josephine Baker? I have. I don't, I don't oh, know yeah, how much awesome. I know about her, but yes, she, oh, man. from what I, yeah. from what I know, I was like, and I mean, anyone, yeah. I think with Joseph or some, some variant of Joseph in their name, it's gotta be oh, cool. Yeah. Gotta be cool. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Me too. Yeah. I love that name, Josephine. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Faye, thank you so much for hopping on oh, the podcast. You're this welcome. Was... Thanks for having me. This was really fun. Yeah. This was delightful. And if people want <laughs> to learn more about you, check out your work and maybe, maybe get notified when the, the next killing books are coming out, where can they go? Oh, oh my gosh. God. 
faysnowden.com. Sign up for my newsletter. I do a monthly newsletter. The next one is probably going to be coming mid-July. And then I also have some really cool uh, giveaways in all my newsletter. Now I'm going to tell you a secret. When my, when these books go on sale, you know, like for $1.99 or the $1.99 books, I grab about 50 <laughs> I'm going to start doing it with other folks' book too. But I do it with mine or books I have stories in. And then I will give those, you know, giveaways or just to thank the readers. And uh, so I have lots of giveaways. And then sometimes I'll give away a short story or two. But in the newsletter, you can see, and also on my website, like I said, facenoted.com, what's coming down the road. And then as for social media, you can, there's buttons to follow me there as well. I do a lot, I hang out a lot on Twitter, um, some on Instagram. And some on Facebook, but just follow me on Twitter if you want to know what's happening. Love yeah. it. Are you getting in the Twitter spaces too? Not. Yeah, no. Yeah, because I also have a day job, so <laughs> I don't. I don't have a lot of time to kind of play. They've changed a little bit, haven't they? A little bit, yeah. I, I want to explore them some more because it um it, it reminds me of the brief period when Clubhouse wasn't totally like overrun by tech bros i where i it was like you could you know you can get in a conversation with maybe like 10 people that are in the same you know either same like genre of of writing as you if you were doing writers or like you know i could chat with other podcasters or anything like that and it seemed like twitter spaces i think seems a little less like again for lack of a better word broy than than clubhouse became so i would like to explore it some more but i have uh, only dabbled very lightly clubhouse still around i think so as far as yeah. i know i still have the app on my phone but it i haven't updated it so who knows um, wow. maybe they have a new logo now too even i don't know Wow, interesting. We'll see. Maybe that's homework yeah. for us. That's yeah, see if, if the clubhouse, see if clubhouse, if the clubhouse is probably saying, yes, we are still yeah. around. <laughs> We're like, what the heck? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're not doing their marking right. <laughs> yeah, we're asking that question. <laughs> yeah. Well, Faye, thank you again for, for taking the time to chat. This was great. And yes, definitely people listening recommend The Killing Series because it is very delightful. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. And of course, we got to wrap up with a corny joke, as we always do. And you, you complimented my basketball shirt, so this is actually a basketball-themed <laughs> joke here. Why did the basketball leave the party? Hmm. To get the basket? I it had to bounce. Get after oh, that's people. so cute! <laughs> i have to tear that to my grandkids. <laughs> yes, please. Yes, please. Spread yeah, the corny yeah, jokes yeah. across the land. Yeah. Yeah. Good People Cool Things is produced in Austin, Texas. If you were a fan of this episode, go ahead and hit that follow button. That helps more people hear the show. You can send me a message, joey at goodpeoplecoolthings.com. Thank you to all of the guests who have been on Good People Cool Things. You can check out all the old episodes via goodpeoplecoolthings.com. As always, thank you for listening and have a wonderful day.
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. If you're hearing this song on your phone, in your car, or in aisle seven of the grocery store, you're not really hearing it. You're not really hearing the hypnotic disco synth as clearly as you could. You're not really feeling the bass line in your chest. And you're certainly not hearing a century of sound innovation. The only way to hear this song the way the artist intended is to hear it on a Denon home speaker. A speaker built with as much craft, dedication, and precision as the music it plays. Which means you won't just hear the song, you'll feel it. Denon home wireless speakers, crafted by the sound obsessed for the sound obsessed. <laughs> 